This episode contains a brief discussion of suicide. Discretion is advised. Welcome to Out in the Bay, Queer Radio. I'm Christopher Beale. This week, the power of queer stories and the importance of mental health awareness with my guest, Edward Gunawan, a writer and a filmmaker. Edward is presenting an exhibition through October. It's called Press Play. You can find it at the Oakland Asian Cultural Center. My primary motivation is to remind people who are struggling or have struggled with their mental health that they're not alone, that in times when they feel like stopping, that they continue to choose pressing play. We'll talk about mental health, coming out, art, and more with Edward Gunawan this week, Out in the Bay. Out in the Bay is supported in part by Project Open Hand, providing 2,500 life-saving meals and 200 bags of groceries daily to sustain people experiencing illness, social isolation, or the health challenges of aging. Learn more at openhand.org. Project Open Hand. Meals with love. Edward Gunawan is a queer Asian filmmaker, author, and storyteller. His comic, Press Play, has spawned an exhibit focused on mental health awareness at the Oakland Asian Cultural Center. That's open through October. Edward's personal mental health journey as well as his journey of discovery and acceptance of himself as a queer person, have run sort of parallel paths his entire life. I've always known that I've had same-sex attraction from very, very young, but I've always kind of kept it to myself. I grew up in Indonesia, the most populous Muslim country in the world, and I was raised in a fairly conservative Chinese household. Being gay is definitely not the most conducive, I would say. So I knew that I couldn't talk about it openly. And then in middle school, I came out to my close group of friends. So that was like this, the first time, like it's more publicly coming out. I explored my sexuality. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> was this before you came to the U.S.? <laughs> yes, this was all before. So you arrived so, knowing you were, you were gay and then happened to find yourself in San Francisco. Lucky. <laughs> Yeah, I had some training. (laughs) Edward moved to the San Francisco Bay Area with his sister, and they both enrolled in college in the South Bay. And despite some initial culture shock, Edward quickly found a home among the LGBTQIA community in the Bay Area. I came out in my senior year of college to my parents. How did that go? It was hard. It was Mm -hmm. challenging. Yeah, we were estranged for a few years, and they... Couldn't accept it for a while. Things are good now, though. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but the, the facial expression told me more than I can relay through audio. <laughs> I wish I had a great story of, like, you know, the family coming together. Like, it's like a storybook kind of yeah. ending, you know, of like, oh, you know, they came around and... and all of that, everybody just reconciling and we're all good and happy. And and for the most part, I think we have like a pretty good relationship right now, but there's something they still can't accept. So I'm married now and they've met my husband. When we got married four years ago, my parents couldn't come to the wedding. Couldn't or chose not to? Both, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. It was really hard on me, on my partner too. And it's something that I'm still kind of processing. 
I think that's relatable for a lot of people. I mean, it's nice to think of the yeah, everything's great now narrative, but I think for a lot of us, you know, for me especially, there is nuance to the relationship with at least one of my parents, you know, where it's mm. just this kind of here's what we're, where we meet and here's what we're never going to agree on. And you just kind of agree to love each other anyway, even when it's really hard sometimes. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think that is also in my own experience with the friends that I know, queer friends. And I think that it's like maybe sometimes the limitations of like the stories that we hear out in the in the public perhaps, you know, where it's either like extremely good or extremely negative. But I think for a lot of us, like we're right in the middle, you know? <laughs> for sure. And it's, it's great. Always heartwarming, of course, to hear, you know, like parents that, you know, embrace their children so openly and, and awesomely. And that's great. Or, you know, after a period of time, they have come around and stuff like that. That is still a challenge for me. Being queer is at the center of your identity. Being Asian is at the center of your identity. But also, you pride yourself as a storyteller. When did you first add storyteller to your identity? How did you stumble upon that? So it happened quite organically in college. My first major was actually engineering, if you can imagine that. <laughs> I knew it wasn't for me, so I kind of like quickly transitioned into like more political science. I thought I was you know, going to go to law school. I think I did a lot of things for practical consideration. For example, I'm not American, I'm an immigrant. So for me to even be able to stay in this country, for example, there are a lot of consideration that I have to think of, right? And so one of them is like work visa, mm -hmm. you know? And unfortunately, there's not a lot of work visa for like artists or writers, right? And so I had to make that practical consideration. Okay, what, who can sponsor me for this visa? I never even thought that I would have literary or artistic career. Uh, I never even thought about it just because it just never came into my consciousness. It wasn't the path you were yeah. you were on at the time. Yeah, I never thought about it. And but I've always loved, you know, like the English language, language in general. And I had the opportunity to enroll in this writing and performing workshop basically for a solo show, a theatrical monologue. And in that workshop, you write your own story. You, you perform the stories from your own life, basically. And I wrote my coming out experience, actually. So it's like a short thing. But it was also during that time that I was struggling quite a lot. One of my darkest days, I would say. That was around the time when I had a lot of difficulties with my parents. So the night when... It got really, really, really bad. It was also the night before the workshop performance. There was a moment where I really came close to stopping life, mm. um, to just give up. I didn't want to like deal with it anymore. And it was this workshop that literally saved my life. I still remember now, like telling myself, just like, okay, you know what? I know things are really bad, and you just want to stop everything. But we've also worked very hard on this story that you're going to share tomorrow. So if you still want to stop tomorrow, you can still do that. But let's just get through tonight and do this thing tomorrow. And that's how I survived the night. 
The next night, Edward got up on stage and talked for 15 minutes, sharing his own story of self-acceptance, his personal coming out. There was an acquaintance who is an audience member that night who approached me after I shared my coming out story. And he came out to me. Mm. And it was the first time that he did it. And yeah, that, that was just... <laughs> There's power in sharing your own story. Yeah, really I could have never predicted that, right? Like just the night before, I just wanted to like not do anything anymore, right? And and so I think that has since informed me and, and guided me and... Yeah, just like how powerful that impact is of, of sharing yourself, sharing your story, and perhaps like inspiring others to do the same for themselves too. I personally think that being queer is a strength. There's been a thread through a lot of my work and that coming out sort of unlocks this superpower that we have. How does queerness affect the way you create art? If we think about queerness as living outside of the convention, then that definition also applies in my work. I definitely didn't come out or come up in, as an artist, as a writer, in a, any conventional way. And even in, throughout my you know, years of experience, I have done a lot of many, many different things. You know, I started out in the theater. You know, after the monologue, I jumped into like theater, and then I transitioned into film. And then now I'm writing comics and, and <laughs> poetry. And so I felt like I probably wouldn't have the freedom and uh, opportunity to do all of these different genres, for example, if I wasn't queer. But I think being queer person and then being queer in my art, you know, then allows, it just expands like all these possibilities for me. I never felt like I had to conform to any kind of labels or boxes. You sure. know, I just made it up as I go along. <laughs> and it seems to work so far, I guess. So <laughs> I'm going to continue doing it. There has, over the past few years, and obviously throughout our history, been uh, racist violence perpetrated against Asians here in America. But recently, it's getting more and more news attention, which seems to have like this effect of amplifying it, which is helpful, but also sort of re-traumatizing a community over and over and over again. I wonder how how this has affected you as someone that whose art has such a mental health focus and a focus on your own identity. How how has this affected you personally and affected you as a creator? The short answer is it has affected me a lot. And I can tell that it has affected the community a lot too. I can sense that yeah, people are more on guard perhaps, that hypervigilance are definitely present. I think for me, the anti-Asian hate crimes and also like the anti-immigrant refugee rhetoric perhaps in this country, you know, starting from Trump, but even during the COVID years, right, it's, it's been really bad. And um, it makes me think about, you know, the idea of like visibility and invisibility perhaps, you know, I think for a lot of folks in the Asian American community or Asian immigrant for refugee communities, there is that stereotype of like the model minority, right? And and for I think for a long time, like we are seen as like almost invisible, 
right? But then I think these cases, the anti-hate crimes, anti-Asian hate crimes, bring out that invisibility to a point of like hyper-visibility, right? And I think for me then as an artist or as a writer, I think about this question a lot or like this idea a lot. And, and even I'm like in my personal life, I'm constantly trying to balance those things, like not wanting to be invisible, but then not also wanting to be too hyper-visible because I think there is a lot of fear that is associated with that, right? You can feel danger, perhaps, you know, like if you, I'm seeing too much, am I exposing myself too much, then will this hurt me in some way, you know? That's what I meant by like the hyper-visibility and, and the sense of danger, right? So I think that those things then inform a lot of my work as well. The Bay Area has kind of this long and storied history, especially within the LGBTQ plus community. Some people think it, there's a magic here. It's this this fabulous, magical gay place. And it's recently gone through some rough times. I think our country, our world is going through some rough times. But a lot of folks, me included, have a, a, a very bright view of what the future of the San Francisco Bay Area can be. As a storyteller, if you get to write that next chapter, what do you what do you hope for in the next chapter in the San Francisco Bay Area? I share your enthusiasm and hopefulness of this. And perhaps I want to preface it with, you know, again, I coming from like place like Indonesia where I think it's so hard to 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 put any kind of queer stories out there, you sure. know. So I think I recognize that me even being here is its own privilege. And I think we actually get to do a lot here. You mm -hmm. know, we have a lot of freedom in, in, in telling the stories that we want to tell. This past year, I've been like more in touch with the different organizations and communities. And I'm so, buoyed and excited, you know, just because seeing what everybody is doing, what everybody's like talking about, and that is very inspiring. Like the environment is conducive for, for queer art making. At the same time, I also want to acknowledge that in the Bay Area, I love that sense of multidisciplinary possibilities you know i feel like here we're not tied down to a specific thing again maybe it's like the queerness you know that that is a part of our history here and our community yeah we have no hang-ups really of like exploring different things and combining different things you know just remixing you know and and yeah. so i think those things are really really yeah inspiring we don't color in the lines here yeah in san francisco <laughs> We'll talk about mental health awareness and how that inspired Edward Gunawan's new exhibit in Oakland next on Out in the Bay. Out in the Bay thanks Project Open Hand for its support. Project Open Hand's medically tailored food helps Bay Area residents recover from illness, get stronger, and lead healthier lives. Project Open Hand serves people with HIV AIDS, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, and other critical illnesses. Learn more at openhand.org. 
My guest, Edward Gunawan, is a queer, multidisciplinary artist and storyteller based in Oakland. He's presenting the Press Play exhibition at the Oakland Asian Cultural Center through October. It's based on his comic, Press Play. It's worth noting, by the way, that Monday, October 10th, is National Mental Health Day. All right, I want to talk about mental health. Like, the older I get, the more I discover the importance of protecting and exercising good mental health. It's, a, it's, a, it's an exercise. It's a thing you have to do in order to keep yourself healthy. When did you first become aware of mental health? I could tell you the story of when I did. It was when I was sent to a psychiatrist's office mm. at age 10 to find out why I couldn't sit still and spent the next 10 years pumped full of drugs to make me sit still. So I remember my first interaction with mental health. Do you remember yours? Yes. As a young, burgeoning gay person, I was struggling a lot with my mental health because of that. I would say it, it plays a huge factor. I had an episode when I was younger too, like around, actually around the same age as you. And, um, yeah, part of it is because I was dealing with that confusion. I didn't know how to process and I had no one to talk about. And then later on, obviously, as I was coming out and having like those difficult times with my parents, with my family, yeah, I started going to therapist. And I think that was like my formal introduction to the mental health space, the therapy. And for a long time, like I never, I didn't talk about my mental health publicly. It was just something that, yeah, I did for myself. Maybe I was not at the right place to be able to talk about it publicly. There was like a lot that I still need to process myself. And um, yeah, so it took me a while to be able to have that distance. Yeah. To be able to talk about it out loud and mm -hmm. own it, right? Yeah. So even like understand it for yourself first, right? And I think that was sure. the the journey perhaps for me where like, okay, you know, I come into this mental health space because of some struggle and it's usually a crisis, right? And at least for me, it is, it was a crisis and it took a few years to be able to just deal with that crisis and to kind of process that. And then after that, you're just trying to just maintain right. <laughs> some semblance of like equilibrium perhaps, you know, and then only after that and like maybe, you know, you can like, okay, maybe I can like start talking about it you yeah. know, and sharing it publicly in some ways. Do you think that we as a, a society have gone through, you use the word crisis, which I think describes it best, have sort of gone through a mental health crisis with COVID-19. For some of us, the Trump years were really traumatic. Like, do you, do you think that collectively we as a society are going through mental health issues right now? Well, I don't know about that. I think if uh, you could just like diagnose every <laughs> person right now. Yeah, definitely. Mental health struggles have risen dramatically during the pandemic, right? And um, for example, like eating disorders are really on the rise. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of youths are really affected by it. It's so weird, right, to even contemplate that question where you think that we've reached a crisis, but then something happened again, and then you have like a new peak, you yeah. know, of like something happening, you know? And so like, yeah, you mentioned like Trump years was like a very negative experience for a lot of us, you know, like traumatizing. But then like, you have like the Roe v. Wade, you know, this year. Yeah. And it was just like, oh my God, like, can we get any worse? 
five years ago, there were a lot of like celebrities dying of mental health related suicides. And I wanted to respond to that. Edward wrote the comic Press Play to address and destigmatize those mental health struggles. The reports of those celebrities dying were so negative and so stigmatizing. And it really brought me to a place where I was almost like re-traumatized. And so I wanted to say something about that. That's how I started sharing that life story. And I quickly realized, I think it's because of my experience as a media maker, that I could probably have more impact and reach more people if I can make this story more portable mm-hmm. in a way. So I thought like, oh, if I can like make it more portable as a digital project, perhaps I could reach more people. I pitched the idea to my brother, who is a visual artist, lucky for me, yay. <laughs> and he said, yes. So we collaborated on turning the live story basically into a comic. And that's how we started. So he hand drew the black and white ink illustration over a period of a year. And we showed it to all the different mental health professionals we were working with at that time for guidance and feedback. And we decided to host it on our dedicated website and uh, so that people can access it for free all over the world. We launched it five years ago and it's really encouraging to get emails actually from people who read it, who shared their own stories with us and overall just like really happy to see somebody else sharing. And so I think those are like the most moving parts for me uh, where I could s- witness the, the the effect on real people. So we compiled and collected resources for people. We also translated the project from English to different languages, including Chinese and Spanish. I, we also like won some awards. Congratulations. <laughs> that's, that's always nice. Yeah. It's always nice to get recognized. Overall, it's been read by over 10,000 readers across 100 countries, which is really astounding to me. Yeah. They're like, wow. And so now you've adapted Press Play into an exhibition, and the Oakland Asian Cultural Center is presenting your exhibition through October. What is Press Play, the exhibition? Like, this is a whole other side of this. It is. So uh, the opportunity came up last year through OACC, Oakland Asian Cultural Center, and I immediately left at it. I was like, oh my God, yes. I really wanted to do it because, especially during this couple of years of pandemic, we have very limited in-person gatherings, right? And I think we're very deprived of like this kind of social connections and um, yeah, opportunity to meaningfully connect with one another. And so I thought like this exhibition could be, yeah, could could provide that space for folks to come together and luckily, the OACC shared that sentiment with me, and the exhibition is up, and it will be up for the entire month of October. We also have different special events that we've curated to accompany this exhibition. Panels, for example, with mental health professionals. Our main audience has always been people who are struggling or have struggled with their mental health. My primary motivation is to remind them 
that they're not alone, that in times when they feel like stopping, that they continue to choose pressing play. And that is the key message and central metaphor, really, of the comic and our project. So next month, you're releasing a chapbook called The Way Back. Two questions. One, what is a chapbook? <laughs> Good question. Uh, chapbook is really a shorter length book than the usual publication. I like to think of it like a mixtape. <laughs> That's perfect. What's your mixtape book, The Way Back, about? <laughs> so it is a hybrid collection of poetry and prose. And in this collection, I am attempting to reconcile with one's past, with one's past trauma, both inherited and self-inflicted. I submitted this collection, basically, just just like, okay, let's just do that. I actually saw it as an exercise of like compiling kind of mm -hmm. like a manuscript for myself. I've never done that before for a poetry collection. So I was like, okay, you know, I think this is a good exercise. And then like a few months later, you know, the publisher of Falklift the Press, oh my God, bless them, bless yeah. their heart, <laughs> notified me that I was, you know, won the award for the chapbook prize and then it will be as part of the prize, it will get released. And so it will be released in November. I totally freaked out when I got that news. Congratulations. That's incredible. Thank you. Uh, but I totally like cried and then like just panicked. <laughs> just just <laughs> panicked. And you have to understand like there are some pieces there that are so personal and so intimate. Even in my kind of experience as a storyteller, sharing, you know, personal stories through my work, this poetry collection, I think is another level. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was panicking because I was, yeah, trying to wrap my head around like, oh my God, people are going to like read about this, you know, and, and dealing with a lot of like imposter syndrome uh, of like, I'm not a real poet. Like you are thing, now, you you're know? a published and poet. So, <laughs> you know? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> One of the big motivation for me to write The Way Back is actually to honor my younger self. Even the title, The Way Back, may seem to suggest some kind of nostalgia for a better time in the past, but it's really not that. The way that I see The Way Back is the way back to our younger self. Before we learn or inherit a lot of the hate, fear that we pick up as we become older. And so my message would be, you are good. <laughs> You're fine as you are. Yeah. I think the world can be a very dysfunctional place. Many people would try to impose their own insecurity, fear onto you, but know that you are enough, you are good. For more information on Edward Gunawan and his work, you can head to adword.com. That's A-D-D-W-O-R-D. 
Pressplay.com. His exhibition called Press Play runs through October at the Oakland Asian Cultural Center, and his new chapbook, The Way Back, comes out in November from Foglifter Press. I'll put more info in the post for this week's show at outinthebay.org. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. You can catch up on past episodes of Out in the Bay, get in touch, and sign up for our email newsletter at outinthebay.org. You can make a donation there as well. That's outinthebay.org. Your donation keeps this show going. We're an independent, nonprofit production, which means we don't get money from NPR or from podcast platforms or from the stations that play Out in the Bay each week. We rely on support from listeners like you. Chip in what you can at outinthebay.org. And thanks in advance. Also, huge thanks to Brad Payton and Richard Merck of Silicon Valley for their ongoing generous support. Thanks also to KALW 91.7 and San Francisco Public Press's radio station, KSFP 102.5 FM in the San Francisco Bay Area for broadcasting out in the Bay each week. If you'd like to hear queer radio on your local public radio station, get in touch with them and let them know. And let us know as well. You can reach out anytime by emailing out in the bay at yahoo.com. Our founding producer is Eric Jansen. I edit the show and our theme music is by Holly Mead. I'm Christopher Beale. You can find me at Real Chris J. Beale on social media. And we'll see you next week out in the bay. Thank you.